Chainsaw Man fans, just keep winning. This has been such an exciting time. The anime adaptation has been fantastic. In this episode of Serena in 2D, we're going to be talking about episodes 1 and 2 of Chainsaw Man and chapter 107. And yes, I have been seeing you guys' comments. I know you were waiting for me to make a podcast about the first episode, and I'm a bit late, but that's only because... I was working on my YouTube channel. I would love to see you over there, the same name that's here, Serena and 2D, over on YouTube. So I've been making videos on that, and also, I got a new mic. I hope that it sounds better. Hopefully the quality is, you know, getting a little bit of a boost. I'll put some information about this mic in the description, and so if you're interested in having the same type of mic, then you can check it out on the link down below. Episode one was perfect or at least nearly perfect, in my opinion and in the opinion of many people who were excited to check out this episode. And I'm so glad that anime onlys, people new to the Chainsaw Man world, felt instantly connected to Dinji and Pochita. That's what I've been hoping for, mostly because Dinji gets so mischaracterized by both people who, have, uh, who say that they're big fans of Chainsaw Man and people who just kind of barely know anything about it and just like that they've seen a couple of images of him saying that he wants to touch boobs. But Dinji is such a caring character. And Pochita was, oh my gosh, he was so well realized. Um, I think, of course, we're going to talk about animation. Pochita's movements, the sense of heft in his body, the way that he walked, um, I think that the animation really shone in these really delicate moments between Dinji and Pochita in the subtle movements, too. Um, when Dinji kind of like rolled over and we see that little bit of bounce back as he kind of his body just kind of gently oscillates backwards and forwards when Pochita climbs on top of Dinji's chest and we see his whole body kind of shift in response to the weight of Pochita the scenery is well realized too I think there's a lot of nice texture going on um and oh my gosh we got to talk about how it's shot you know and, and we really do mean shot like it feels like a movie and if you check out my uh video on YouTube I talk about how they bring so many cinematic elements into Chainsaw Man, even just from the first episode you see it. And, um, you know, Tatsuki Fujimoto's talked about how many movies that he loves. He loves movies. And we see it throughout all of his different works. Um, we see how movie theaters are, are important set pieces as well. So I am so happy that he was able to bring his love of movies into this series. And if you know about the production of Chainsaw Man, then you know that Fujimoto was really heavily involved in everything. Apparently he looked over storyboards. He was involved in the voice, um, voice acting, uh, uh, you know, finding the voice acting talent as well as directing and all sorts of different things, even music composition too. I think the music is, is pretty good. It hasn't had any great moments yet. Um, but I, I do love seeing these moments play out with a music soundtrack and, oh gosh, okay. You know what else we have to talk about? The viral opening sequence. All of the movie references, everything. So many movie references. And again, I made a, a video about this. Uh, I was shocked. I, I hadn't seen any spoilers before going into the anime. So luckily I didn't know that any of these scenes were coming. And so when I finally got around to watching it, I was blown away. It was so much fun and it was such a smart move buy MAPPA to do this because it was it's going to go viral. People are going to be tagging all these classic movies and actors. People are going to be doing side-by-sides and everyone's going to be digging, trying to figure out what's this scene from, what was this inspired from. 
blah, blah, blah. And so it, it was made to be viral, but it still fits in with, with the established look, feel, and, uh, and just the interests of Chainsaw Man, the things that have inspired Chainsaw Man. Now let's talk voice acting. I love the unbridled joy that we hear in his voice when he's slashing through the zombies. While this scene was a little bit awkward in some ways in terms of the animation, I love the voice acting performance and it really does feel like someone who has been bottled up for so long, who's dealt with so much, um, you know, the debt constantly hanging over his head and how he gleefully is like, hey, I guess this means I don't have any more debt if I kill all of you guys, you know. It, it's a lot of energy and I am excited to hear more of that manic voice later on in the series. Denji's voice actor Kikunosuke Toya does a fantastic job not only in these manic scenes but also in the more subtle and warm scenes and I like that he has this sort of roughness to his voice. He sounds uh, a bit like he's a uh, rough kid, like he's had a rough upbringing. I also love the sound design. The sound of the chainsaws revving up and cutting through flesh, as well as them powering down, I think is well done. Like, fantastic. And Pochita's little yips, his little, ah, like, oh my gosh. It was so cute. Um, when he did talk, it was a little bit weird. I was like, whoa. Um, I, I, I kind of got Kyubei vibes, you know, from Madoka Magica. A little unsettling. It's like, oh, making a contract with this cute little animal with a quirky little voice. But, you know, of course, we love Pochita. Like with Dinji's voice actor, Makima's voice actress is relatively new, hasn't done any big roles yet. This is her first huge role. Her name is Tomori Kusunoki, and I think she was a great fit. Some people wanted the more uh, anime mom voice, the ara ara type of voice, and I'm, I'm glad they didn't go with that, okay? <laughs> I'm glad they went with a very soft, unsuspecting, almost kind of quiet voice for Makima making her seem like she's so harmless that she wouldn't even hurt a fly. Pairing that soft, nurturing voice with those uncomfortable lines that she says, especially in episode two, adds to the discomfort and mystery of Makima. I was so close to giving episode one a 10 out of 10 score, but the only thing that takes away just a couple of points is some of the action scenes. Yes, I have a little bit of a problem with it. I feel like it's almost like we see Dingy wandering through a nearly empty warehouse. When we compare how it was depicted in the manga, there was so much more energy. And we, it feels like he's being surrounded by zombies. But here, he was literally just running up to them, slicing them. They would be like 10 feet away from him and he'd just go over and slice them. There was no tension. And unfortunately, we didn't get like a horror movie vibe from that. In the first chapter, the shading and everything kind of reminded me of like a, uh, like a horror graphic novel or like a black and white zombie film. So it felt very creepy and uncomfortable and it was fun because I, I got it, it like a movie reference. 
But here, it felt a bit random. It felt a bit awkward. Honestly, it felt a little bit awkward. Some of Dinji's movements as well, once he became Chainsaw Man, it didn't look good. I don't know how to describe it. I do, of course, like I do love when there's a bit of a bounce in movement. And we saw that. Like when he would slice, we see his arm go down and then it kind of bounces up a little bit. So that gives us this idea that there's weight to the chainsaws um, on his arms and that he's trying to right his arm, bring it back up a little bit. But overall, it felt it, it, it just didn't work nearly as well as it did in the manga. And now, unfortunately, there's this whole discourse online surrounding the usage of CGI, CGI, 3D animation, whatever you want to call it, and 2D animation. And <laughs> people are sharing around uh, the storyboards of the from MAPPA and trying to say, like, see, look, no CGI was used, so it's good. Uh, we're shutting you guys down. Keep saying it's all CGI or that it's it's bad or whatever. I'm like, first of all, the number one concern should be whether this is good or not. Not it does it use CGI or does it not. And secondly, CGI was still used. It was used in conjunction with 2D animation. Dingy's head would be so hard to animate. His chainsaw man head has all these pipes, all these uh, dagger teeth. Um, there's a ton of details. The rotating blades, of course, they're not actually like drawing out rotating blades. It's kind of like a little animation trick just to make it look like there's motion with the with the chainsaw part. Um, but it'd be really hard to keep that up through 2D animation and do it all through 2D animation. So sometimes a 3D model is used. But unfortunately, those movements still didn't work. It didn't look good. And that's my main complaint, not CGI bad and 2d good i mean i've seen people be like see look it's good because it's 2d and it's like what if someone had a problem with how it looked originally seeing some kind of 2d storyboards and keyframes isn't gonna change the fact that or shouldn't change their opinion that it wasn't good but i do feel like i am relieved that the most important parts to me which are the character interactions are going to be held handled really well and we see that in episode two and we're going to get to talking about episode two but first, I want to talk about Dinji and Makima's hug and just how fantastically their relationship is portrayed by Fujimoto and by MAPPA Studio. It's set up so well and there's this undeniably romantic feeling to this interaction. It shows a deep connection between these two. Uh, Dinji's hold me states his desire that is something that Makima wants as well. And I am going to start getting into some spoiler territory, so, you know, I, I forgot to put a spoiler warning at the beginning, but here's where I might start dipping my toe into spoilers, so you're, you're just being warned here. Makima and Dinji both desire the same thing, to be held. And so she comes to hold him, and this facade, this hard exterior, the chainsaw man, this monster, it melts off of him. Beauty healing the beast. This common sort of romantic trope is used really well. And some people might feel like it's Fujimoto deceiving the audience in his portrayal of their relationship, because as we all know, Makima doesn't truly love Dinji. But instead, what Fujimoto is doing is playing with our expectations. Their relationship is rooted in intimacy and love. But Makima has a different point of view when it comes to love and a different objective. A different target for her love. 
Makima is so comforting to Denji, not only because she's an attractive woman and because she gives him this chance at a better life, but also because she seems to understand and trust him in a way that so many other people don't. And here's where we start getting into episode two. It is Makima who is the one who lets Denji know that Pochita is still alive inside of him in a literal sense. And this is something that is so comforting to Denji because just a few minutes earlier in the car, he was thinking about how Pochita was dead. And when Denji was explaining the situation that led to Pochita fusing with him, he did not think Makima was gonna believe him. He's like, oh, you're probably not gonna believe me. But then she said, I believe you. And I love how in the anime, they make sure to show that this meant a lot to Denji, that she believed him. So Makima is this person that listens to Denji, who believes him, who brings him comfort through her words and her physical interactions. And so he's constantly trying to balance out the negatives about Makima with the positives. And unfortunately, because of all the neglect and abuse that he's suffered, he feels like the positive small bits of kindness that he's getting from Makima weigh a lot more than they would to a person who's been treated well throughout most of their life. So he is constantly missing those red flags. Now let's talk about the removal of the muscle devil. Originally, I did know that they were going to cut out the muscle devil part that we saw in chapter two. But once I watched the episode, I understood how much of a weird gap that this left in the episode and how it takes away from Makima's characterizations, especially when we look at her negative traits. In the muscle devil scene for everyone who might have forgotten, because you know, it doesn't seem like a big uh, important part of the story, but the audience is shown that Makima is not altruistic, nor is she kind. And it's not just through some words in the uh, car that they're traveling in like we see in the anime. Instead, we see it much more through her actions. Dinji is worn out. He's hungry, his stomach is growling, and Makima offers to get him some food, really nice. But while they're there, they're approached by a man screaming for help because his daughter's been kidnapped by a devil. Makima acknowledges that she could take care of this situation, but she doesn't want her udon to get soggy. So she sends Dinji to do the work for her, this starved teenage boy who ordered food himself. He ordered noodles as well, and those were going to get soggy, but she didn't want her noodles to get soggy. And then she tells him that she only needs dogs who can obey her, and that any dogs that go against what she says are put down. And while we do get this line in the anime, it's offered at such a random time. Dinji's stomach growls. And she just kind of starts offering up this information about like, oh yeah, basically I'm going to put you down if you don't listen to me. And he's like, oh man, Makima seems mean. And then his stomach growls again. And then she, you know, says, hey, why don't we get something to eat? Offers her jacket to him and everything. And it's like, what? why would a stomach growl prompt talking about how she was going to put him down? That That's a bit off. It makes so much more sense during a scene where Dinji is shown to not want to do something. And she responds with, if you don't follow my orders, I'm going to kill you. Also in the anime, she doesn't say it with the cold smile that we saw in the manga that made it so unsettling. Instead, her expression was fairly flat. And overall, I do feel like Makima hasn't been emoting as much as she did in the manga, but that's just a minor gripe. We also miss the parallels of Dinji and Pochita and this little girl and the muscle devil that she loved. But of course, here the Muscle Devil was not nearly as kind as Pochita. This was a deceptive devil. 
And so that scene kind of lets the audience know that devils maybe should not be trusted, that they are not all little pochitas, even if they look cute. And it challenges Dingy's empathy because he was willing to help this little girl run away because he saw himself in this little girl and her relationship with this small devil. But then we see how it backfires because it turns out the muscle devil was not a pochita. He was not kind and wanted to hurt both him and the little girl and control and use her. After Dingy takes care of the muscle devil and saves the little girl, we miss out on the scene of Dingy saying woof in response to Makima asking how everything went. And that show, and he did this with like a sad sort of expression, like a worn out expression, because while he was separated from her, when he was going off to go find the muscle devil, he's contemplating how mean Makima is. And I like that he had this moment by himself to really think over how he should feel about Makima. So this rest stop scene in the anime feels a lot more intimate than it did in the manga. There's nothing negative to interrupt it. No mission where Dinji thinks about how mean Makima is, sending him off to work while he's still really hungry. And it's just Dinji and Makima. We don't see her entourage with her like we did in the manga. We see them standing behind her and looking really ominous as she's telling him that they will put him down if he doesn't do what she says. Now I am going to say I think that the comedy sometimes plays out better in the manga than it did in the anime. Uh, because like the whole like noodle scene where she's like, can you feed yourself? And he's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because, you know, he just wants her to feed him. And so she, you know, gives him the, <laughs> the udon. I feel like it was a lot funnier in the manga, but I did like the, <laughs> the noodle slurping scene. Like they made it dramatic and fun. And I like that. And again, I feel like that's them trying to give Makima this like mother bird sort of a, a look like if she really does look like a mom with like a worm feeding her baby there. So we keep going into episode two and we're introduced to Aki Hayakawa, the fan favorite, one of my favorite characters, uh, especially my first read. He was really getting me through the manga. It was Aki and like the mystery of Makima that really had me intrigued. Of course, the internet was already losing their minds over Aki when we saw him in the trailer. He looked beautiful. We even saw him with his hair down, flowing in the wind. So people were ready to simp over Aki, and I think he looks great. We also see a familiar image in Makima's office. Now, this image is not the same one that we later on see in Makima's apartment. A lot of people have that confused, okay? This one is by the same artist, Gustave Doré, but it is a... I believe it might be an etching, a print, or, you know, an illustration um, from Dante's Inferno. It's Canto 22. I talk about this more in my Chainsaw Man opening video, like where I'm explaining the images in the opening, because we see this. This is like the one of the first things we see in the opening uh, when Dingy is pulling at his chest cord. And in the backdrop, you see this image of Canto uh, 22. But what I think is super cool about it, and I haven't heard many people talking about this, but it depicts civil servants being punished, civil servants and politicians, uh, and uh, being pushed back into uh, a boiling, sticky pit that reflects their own greed. And also one of the <laughs> one of the politicians is trying to escape, and the devils like to pull them up and and torture them. So. What, one of the guys is diving down to avoid the torture of the devils. And this works really well because, of course, like we already know, Chainsaw Man is 
pretty dang political and doesn't have the best, <laughs> the warmest feelings about politicians and even civil servants like, you know, what, okay, let's, who, who are the civil servants here? Our public safety division devil hunters, they are civil servants. And <laughs> so Makima has this image in her office where civil servants are being tortured for being bad, for being greedy. And greed is a huge part of Chainsaw Man now, especially because the the opening song is all about wanting things. If you listen to it, well, if you look up the lyrics, if you don't know Japanese, like like myself, <laughs> uh, especially like I think towards the second verse, they start saying like, I want money, I want everything, I want blah, 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 you know, just want, want, want. And I do think that Chainsaw Man is really interesting in that where greed isn't necessarily a bad thing. Wanting more isn't necessarily a bad thing but avoiding pain by way of just kind of supplementing yourself with more things is not good. So we were off to a great start with episode one in terms of people's responses to Dingy who were new to the series. And then episode two has a lot of people thinking that Dingy is just a usual stock pervert character, which is a little frustrating, but understandable since we know that trope is so popular in anime. And Dinji does talk a lot about boobs in this episode. But what's sad is that a lot of people are overlooking Dinji's motivations. And they think that they can just take his words at face value without listening to the other words that he's saying. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the alleyway scene was hilarious. Okay, we're gonna... <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, of course, it's it's been memed to death online, but it was great. But anyway, let's, let's fast forward to what Dinji says. After the beatdown, he tells Aki that this is the first time that he's been treated decently, like a person. And so he's willing to take on this dangerous job because it's affording him a luxury that most people take for granted. Being treated like a normal person, having a salary being able to interact with a cute girl. For Dinji, he is living his dream life and it's something he's willing to die for. And then he says, actually, you know, I take it back. It's not just my life anymore. And this is him acknowledging that he is living not just for himself, but also for Pochta, who's still alive inside of his chest. He wants to, and maybe needs to, uphold Pochta's wishes, that Dinji make all of these dreams come true that he used to talk to him about. And that's so honorable of Dinji, and it's really sweet. It connects us back to Pochta, who is, who is literally his heart, but he allowed Dinji to be a caring person. He got to exercise his own love when he was interacting with Pochta, so there's a lot of love rooted in his relationship with Pochta, and that's ongoing through how he lives his daily life. Dinji talking about how he is willing to put up with so much in order to have these, you know, these amenities that for him are luxurious, reflects back on how he is the city mouse archetype. And of course, if you read the manga, then you know how important the conversations around the country mouse and the city mouse are to this story and to the main themes. Dinji is willing to deal with high risks for what he perceives are high rewards. And later on, when he is able to speak with Reze, he gets more of an outsider's perspective 
and realizes that what Mahima has been providing him with, this thing that he thinks is so luxurious, the three meals a day, the warm bed, the roof over his head, are all just basic Japanese citizen amenities. Most people live this way. And he's putting her up on a pedestal for doing very little. And that's when we get to talking about Denji being in school and how important it is for him to be in school. And we love to see it in part two. Denji's in school getting that education. Another fan favorite moment, Denji in the bathtub, enjoying the luxuries of the Hayakawa residence. I think his singing here is supposed to sound like the Japanese version of Wolf, which is Wan. So he's like, Wan, 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 Wan. <laughs> it's pretty cute. Dinji and Aki's first mission is so great for exploring both of their characters. Dinji is empathetic even if he isn't quite honest with himself about it. His empathy towards fiends and devils challenges Aki, who of course wants to kill devils because of what happened to his family. In a non-self-righteous way, Dinji is pushing Aki to look at the world differently. Dinji's beliefs are rooted in his personal experiences not just him trying to sound lofty and Denji's empathy and his open-mindedness is rooted in his lived experiences. Denji's empathy towards fiends comes from the fact that he could have become one himself. He tells Aki that he wants to give these fiends a painless death because of this. And then later we hear him say that he just didn't want to make the room a mess because he wanted to scavenge up those dirty magazines that were on the ground. He didn't want to get them covered in blood. Like we see later on in the series, Denji tends to undersell himself and tries to make it seem like he's only motivated by sexual desires, while in reality he is also very driven by empathy. We see this especially during the bat devil fight and him trying to save power, but of course we'll get to that in, let's see, the next episode I think with the bat devil? I can't wait. He also says that he's willing to befriend devils if they are someone that he could become friends with. And of course, that's rooted in his experiences with Pochita. Aki is really rough with Denji. Of course, we saw the whole throwdown in the alleyway. And then here we see him slamming his face up against glass. And I love how Denji, though, is never really shaken by this much because of his rough upbringing. I'm sure he's used to, unfortunately, being beat up and having to fight for himself. If Power's voice sounds familiar, then you've probably heard her as Jolene in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean. And she did an amazing job with Power. There's that frantic craziness, animalistic energy in Power that she really was able to dig into. Also, Power's movements were beautifully animated. She's like a wild animal, the way that we see her ducking around and moving her hair, swishing around wildly. She really does feel like some kind of predatory animal. I also just love seeing Dingy have to deal with someone who's like a worse version of himself. Even more feral, even ruder, even cruder. The action scene where we have her jumping off of the building, forming her hammer and smashing down the sea cucumber devil was awesome. I loved it. As a bonus, when I was watching the ending sequence, like minutes after it had been uploaded onto YouTube, I was like, wait a minute. 
is this a get out reference? So if you don't know, Fujimoto has already expressed how much he loves Get Out, Jordan Peele's Get Out, which shouldn't be a surprise because not only is it just a well-known movie, but it's also a horror movie. And so when I saw that scene with Makima stirring her teacup, and then we see Dinji falling, like getting sunken down into the ground and waving his arms around, I was like, this has to be a Get Out reference. And how perfect, right? We have the control devil Makima being similar to the evil controlling hypnotic mother in Get Out, how, you know, again, like with the whole idea of hypnosis, Makima has those hypnotizing eyes and it just reinforces this idea of control and taking advantage of this young man and making him feel lost and confused. I love it. I love it. That was great. And of course, just the visuals looked really nice for ending number two, and the music was pretty catchy as well. I can't wait for the next episode. This is what I was hoping for, that we would get a different animated se sequence for the ending, for because we knew we were going to get um, new ending songs. But after the first episode, I was a little bit nervous because we just saw the scrolling text, like we were in the movie theater, and nothing, no visuals. So I was like, oh man, that's kind of disappointing. I thought we were going to get like different ending sequences. And now it looks like that's what we are going to get, you know, after episode one, that was just for that one episode. And now we're just going to get all these cool animated ending sequences. And I'm hoping we get more references to different movies that Fujimoto has talked about before. Now on to chapter 107. So of course we have Yuko who's turned into this creature that is harnessing the powers of the justice devil and her her devil form is a lot different from the original uh, form that we saw the student council president taking who also had a contract with the justice devil. She's much more elegant. She's got that like brain stack thing going on, almost like her brain, like her head exploded with all of the brain that she had. It's, it's, it's weird, but it also is pretty cool. We learned that the war devil can turn inanimate objects into weapons as well, because before we only saw her taking fleshy objects that she claimed as her own, you know, from people and turning them into weapons. But unfortunately, she is limited in her powers, so she's turning pencils into weak little spears and whatnot. So the war devil, I'm, I'm guessing she's going to get a power boost at some point. And that might come in the form of Yuko turning into a weapon for her. And that's one thing that I think would be really interesting if Yuko willingly became a weapon for Asa slash the war devil. Because we already know, they've already set up that guilt makes the power the weapon more powerful. So if Asa feels guilty about turning Yuko into a weapon, it'll be really powerful. And also we know that love and like this sort of attachment feeling like um, that other person is yours, you know, that makes the weapon stronger. So Yuko, of course, is so dedicated to Asa, and that's why she's going on this rampage, getting rid of all of Asa's bullies. So I think it would be like a bittersweet sort of way to conclude this with her turning into some kind of mega powerful weapon for Asa slash the war devil to use in the future. We see the devil hunting club, and they seem to be the only line of defense that the school has which I, that just I don't know guys like where where are the adults you know like in American high schools like I, I know so well um there are trained officers they are you know police officers with with guns that are stationed around the school to protect students or at least you know 
That's 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 the idea at least. Um, so it seems weird that you would, in a in a dangerous world where we have these devils popping up all the time, you'd rely on students to have to you know deal with these mega powerful enemies. And we see the only thing that really acts as a evacuation aid is just a button that the teacher presses that sends off an alarm. There's no uh, way to shelter in class. Like there was no, uh, what do they call them? Like a safety room that the kids can run into. So in terms of world building, I think that is a weak point in Chainsaw Man. I'm, I've been wondering forever. I'm like, why is the world not constructed in a way that is meant to deal with devils? Because devils have been doing their thing since who knows, maybe like the beginning of humanity. And these schools, these structures look way too familiar, way too much like modern day, non-devil living <laughs> school times. Like what, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, of course, remember that Yuko can read Asa's mind. She can read anyone's mind. And so we have sort of this back and forth between her and the war devil. And we don't know what they're thinking, but Yuko's like, don't even try that. That's not gonna work. But when they switch back to Asa, like the war devil allows Asa to be in the control. Yuko's like, what? No, anything but that, don't do it. And so I think that Asa is going to put herself in harm's way in order to just stop this conflict. Maybe, I don't think she's gonna try and cut off one of her own limbs and turn that into a weapon because I don't think she's strong enough to regenerate her limbs like Dinji can. But I do think she's gonna do something really risky. I also predict that Dinji is going to show up in some bombastic, exciting way like he did during his reintroduction in part two, crashing in on the bat devil, saving, inadvertently saving Asa and Yuko uh, while fighting the cockroach devil. I think he's going to do something crazy. He's just going to pop up when we least expect him to. And maybe he's going to reveal to the school who he is. I think Dinji's going to just go ahead and reveal himself at some point. That would be hilarious and a bit unexpected. So that seems a bit on, on brand for Dingy and Chainsaw Man. Thank you so much for listening to the end. This was a bit of a longer episode because we had so much to talk about. Chainsaw Man episode 1, 2, and then the chapter 107. It's just a lot of great stuff coming out right now for Chainsaw Man fans. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And if you could rate this episode, that would be fantastic. And don't forget to check out my YouTube page that I just started up. I would love to see you over there. Make sure to subscribe. And if you do come in from my podcast, let me know in the comments. I'd love to hear that. And of course, my TikTok page is still going strong. So I'd love to see you over there as well. I'm making content about all sorts of different series. I just started Berserk. So you're going to want to check me out on TikTok for that. And I'm going to be making some YouTube videos about Berserk. I'm really excited for that. Wherever you're listening to me, watching me, thank you so much for your support. And I hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.